All right. Good morning, church. All right. Great to see each of you here this morning. I uh, want to welcome you if you're a, a visitor with us. We have a cafe where we serve uh, some snacks after the service, a great place for you uh, to have the opportunity to get connected with people that perhaps you have not met before. Uh, also, just a note on our baptism that we're going to reschedule that into the beginning of the new year. Just run into a number of conflicts scheduling-wise. So our baptism service will be at the beginning of the new year, and we'll get a clear date on that for you. Um, one of the ministries that runs at our church is called Grief Share. Uh, one of our probably longer term ministries as well, Fran Pilch and Laura Mack are in charge of that. This Tuesday night, they have a, uh, just it's a video presentation, a group gathering called Surviving the Holidays. So folks that have kind of gone through a loss in the last year that perhaps you know, who may be looking for a place to connect with people who have a similar struggle. Uh, that would just be a great opportunity for you to invite them. And I think you, as far as I know, you could come with them and accompany them to that event. So that is Tuesday night here at seven o'clock. Okay. I want to share with you a quick uh, story about a ministry that operates in our church in the summertime. And that's our vacation Bible school program. Uh, we got a text from a family that participated in our vacation Bible school this past summer between summer and now, they moved to Tennessee. And the wife sent a text to Sherry Miller because they're from the same town up in Oxford. Here's what she said. Just thought that you would like to know that Tara and I are being baptized by immersion on 11:20, so next Sunday. And here's what she says, this is so cool. A total conversion of faith. I am so glad you reached out to me about VBS. It has set a whole new course for our family. Isn't that cool? So just a beautiful, you know, you, you pour yourself out in ministry, a lot of you. I think there were 40 or 50 people that participated in that ministry. And sometimes you're thinking, man, I'm getting tired. Is it worth it? Okay. I think when you find out that somebody's eternal destiny has been changed, a family, that it's worth it. And uh, so we just praise God for that. So when I read that text, it was just such an encouraging thing to, to realize and to remember what we often try to say, and that is only heaven will tell the outcome of the sacrifice that you make. A lot of things that you do through a given week that no one knows about. I think about the ministry that uh, Laura and Fran are involved in with Grief Share. Most of us don't know every Tuesday night you can drive by here and see anywhere between 10 and 15 cars, people whose lives are being touched because somebody thought they should give up some of their time to make a difference in the life of others. And that fruit begins to come. Same thing is true with a number of ministries that take place here. So just wanted to encourage your hearts with that, okay? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to read a passage of scripture and lead us in prayer, and then we're going into our season of worship and song. So Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we would ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's uh, pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are mindful of a variety of needs that are present within our church family. Uh, physical struggles that different folks are enduring. We've been lifting up our sister Diana Kelly for a long time, Father. 
uh, just asking that your hand would continue to be at work in her life, glorifying yourself uh, in the time that you have given to her. Uh, Father, we trust that you will work very mightily and very powerfully in her life in ways that we cannot even imagine, as this text says. Uh, you are our creator, you are God, you are our healer, and we trust you uh, with her life. Uh, we think of uh, Ben DePinto as he deploys to Japan with the Marines. Pray that uh, Joe and Christina would be experiencing peace as their son goes to serve uh, his country. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room who has served in the military as we think of veterans this week, Lord. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice that so many have made, and we pray that you will be encouraging and uh, strengthening them today. We lift up our government leaders as we've come through a week of elections. Uh, Father, we simply ask that you would give wisdom to those that have been elected to serve in positions of leadership. May they remember what Romans 13 says, and that they, that is that they are servants for your purposes, and I trust that they will know, sense, and feel that responsibility. And be yielded to the direction you desire to move them in. And Lord, as we move into our worship and song, our desire is to sing to the Lord together. And Lord, over a hundred times in Psalms, you call us to sing, to worship. And so Lord, we have come for that purpose, anticipating that in our worship, you will work in amazing ways. As we sing truth, make it clear by your spirit, we trust. Pray these blessings in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship him together. Surely 
Church, I uh, just want to give a quick testimony. Um, in Psalm 9:1, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds, and I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praises to your name, Most High. I, I want to give a quick testimony. The, uh, my father-in-law was in the hospital three weeks ago, and uh, my wife and I went to visit him. And when we visited him, I've been a nurse for a long, long time. I hate to tell you how many years, um, but I was in the room, and as, as I was in the room, he was, he had, he was struggling to breathe. He had apnea, and apnea is these long stretches of breath. And I said to my wife, I said, he's, he's in big trouble. He's in really big trouble. And, and you know, she starts weeping, and I sa she says to me, tell me, tell me, you know, is, is it bad? Is it? I said, so I, I told her, it's very bad. We, so we, I ran. I got the nurse and they called a code, a respiratory failure code. So they came in, uh, he's a DNR, so they don't intubate him. So they put him on a machine to breathe and the doctor comes and talks to the family. He says, we need to call hospice because he's in such critical condition. And to be honest with you, we don't think he's gonna survive. So we prayed, we, my wife and I prayed for him and asked God to restore him to health, just a prayer of faith. And, um, and uh, you know, there was weeping and mourning because death is imminent. And um, so we, we, we came the next day. When we came the next day, they took him off the machine and he started breathing on his own. And miracle of miracles, by the way, hospice had been called and hospice was ready to start morphine and, you know, to, to you know, slowly take it so he doesn't suffer. Well, hospice was not needed. By the next day, after, the, after they took the machine off, he was awake and alert and talking to us. And that just shows that no matter what you're going through, no matter what valley you're going through, 
God is able to do far exceedingly what you think he can. He, amen. I mean, all the glory and all the honor goes to God because he was dead and became alive. And we were able, of course, to share and make sh and, and just make sure that he spiritually he knows that Jesus brought him back. And we told him about it. And, you know, uh, do you accept Christ? And he accepted Christ, which is probably is the most important thing than it could ever happen. And so we give all the glory and all the honor to our Lord Jesus Christ, who does, who opens up the seas when we have no other escape. And the, even we're in that deepest valley, we never, have, we never lose hope. We are people of hope. And he is Jehovah Rapha, our provider and our healer. Amen. Amen. I feel 
Shepherd boy, Korea. 
You're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touched the lepers then. I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty River, come and fill me. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the same God on the mountaintop and in the valley, and you consistently chase after us. God, thank you for this, uh, for the testimony this morning and for the way that you work in our lives. And we ask now that um, as Doug comes to preach, that you would just bless our hearts to be open to what you would have to uh, speak to us through him this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated and children five to uh, five years of age up to third grade can be dismissed for junior church. So if you have your Bibles... I ask you to turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll just be looking at the first seven verses together in our time. Again, thank you, worship team, for leading us uh, in worship to God. So let me tell you about a particular family, nobody that any of us know, but a family that's uh, attending a conservative evangelical church in America. Father, husband, wife, one daughter, one son. Going to church as they do every other week. And normally on the way to church, there's a little bit of griping and complaining on the way. Uh, Teenage daughter was late getting out of the house. And words are given back and forth. You know what happens. Or maybe you don't, but you do. They get to church and... Uh, the, the, the husband uh, actually is involved in a pretty successful business and uh, had, had actually at one point in his life made, made a promise to God that, you know, if, if you bless this business, I will give to missions and all kinds of things. Well, God did and he didn't, but he does go to church. So that's, that's, that's a nice thing. So they come to church and, and his mind is always thinking about the business, even in church, even when, when we sing, even when the message is given, even during communion, it just drives what he does, except he also has a football team that he loves to watch on Sunday afternoon. And, and frankly, as he's sitting in the sermon service and the sermon gets a little bit too long, he gets edgy. Because he wants to get out of there. Last thing he wants to miss is the beginning of that football game. Well, his son has picked up on that too. He feels the same way. 
they normally joke and go like this, and you know, different kinds of things. So he's got his issues, but, but he's at church, and he smiles, and he's friendly. His wife, also a very, very friendly person, um, but because her husband is so emotionally unattached to her, her eyes have been wandering, frankly. And there, there's a guy at work that she's flirtatious with. You know, it's, 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 it, there's an emotional connection. Nothing else has happened, okay? But she fantasizes quite a bit about that and wonders where it might go. Because after all, her husband doesn't meet her needs anyway. The son, he's in high school. He's actually a really good football player himself. And, and he, uh, there's this girl, and she's not a Christian, okay? But he really, really wanted to have a relationship with her for sure. And he talked to his parents, and he promised his parents before God that if they would just let him date her, he would make sure she's coming out to church and that he's witnessing to her in a good testimony. None of which has happened. If anything, it's moved the other direction, and their relationship is anything but God-honoring. And the daughter, she brings her cell phone to church faithfully every week um, and texts with her friends faithfully throughout the service. Completely disconnected. I mean, there's times when she's made promises to God and, and so on and so forth. They all like it, though, when you have communion because it feels like kind of a magical experience. They figure if, if, if they do something for God, then maybe he'll do something for them. So they come, they sit behind you, they smile, they talk, they sing. They walk out, eat food, and leave, and nothing changes. Can that happen to us? I mean, can, can that be us? Can worship be something that we treat flippantly, formally, hypocritically? If you have those thoughts, uh, you're thinking right where the scripture thinks, because it's not a problem that's unique to America. It's a problem that's endemic to humanity. And so it's been a problem from the beginning. When we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon is going to have one of these other wonderful moments where he breaks out of just looking at life horizontally and talking about life vertically. And he gives some outstanding advice on worship in his day, which I want to argue gives perspective to worship in our day. That makes sense, and you can see from the pictures there, uh, the scenes have changed quite a bit from this, from the church on the right to uh, a reenactment of, of perhaps what the Temple of Solomon looked like on the left. So, let's read the text, um, and then then go back and and, and talk it through. There's, it's only seven verses, so it's short, but that means I can just kind of go slow as we talk about it. But no. Listen, let's just kind of sweep through it first, and then we'll go back and try to unpack some of the elements in the text itself. 
The writer Solomon, probably somebody in his ilk, says this, uh, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger saying, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be, uh, was a mistake, unquote. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. There's a couple things that I want to say here. Um, and, and, and maybe we could even pick up on the words of James when James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Okay, now, now let me tell you what he's not saying, because you may be thinking like, oh, so when we come on Sunday morning, like, I can't say anything. That's not the point, right? It's, it's very much what you talk about and, and, and your motivation for doing those kinds of things, okay? So, so this is not like an attack on fellowship or anything like that. So, so but listen, listen again what he says in the first verse. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Now that's amazing to me, isn't it? He says... On the one hand, you are going to meet people at the temple who are frankly, in, 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 from his perspective and God's perspective, they're fools. They live as if there is no God in the way they do things. And, and, and they don't even realize that in bringing their sacrifices, they're sinning. So like, who are these people? You're going up and you're seeing these people on the other hand, they're coming up and, and God just says, Fools. And one of the things you find running all through the Old Testament, and again in the New Testament, is that it is possible for people to come into the presence of God to do a sacrifice for all the wrong reasons. And so some people's lives are a complete wreck through the week. And they come up to do their sacrifice. There is a Jew. And it's a sacrifice of thanks or dependence or perhaps it's a guilt offering, whatever. It has no connection with what they do the rest of the week. Just doesn't connect. And God will say in Isaiah chapter 1, when you bring sacrifices and it's not out of a heart that really believes I'm coming into the presence of God, not as a perfect person, of course, it's impossible, but as a humble person that's saying, God, I want you and I need you. God says, keep your sacrifice. I don't want it. It's worse to sacrifice it with the wrong attitude. You ought not come, period. And this is, this is mentioned again and again in the Old Testament. Rather, he says, I want you to come 
to the house of God, guarding your steps, coming to listen first and foremost rather than to speak. You know, it's interesting. The great, what we call Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, does not say, speak, O Israel. It says what? Hear, Hear O Israel. So one person could be coming into sacrifice. It could be a flippant experience. It doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just what you do. And my life is inconsistent with what I'm saying. But I'm smiling and impressing you in the process. Does that happen? Matthew 6. Jesus has to go after that thing, doesn't he? And on the other hand, there are people coming up to the temple and each step they're taking, they're saying, God, I don't even deserve to be here. There is such a gulf between you and me, and yet you, you, you have, you've, you've set up all kinds of systems to draw me to yourself. And as I come up to the temple, typically the priest would speak at the temple. We know that also from other places in the Old Testament. So when that priest speaks, God, I am all ears. I just want to know you and I want to honor you. I want you to reorient my heart so you expose idols in my heart. And, and, and so you encourage me when I'm downcast and I don't know how to find my way. God, at every level, because of my sin, because of my neediness, I, I come up. I have to be here. I want to be here. And I ask you to speak. Now that's two different responses. And Solomon says, that's what worship should be about. Not flippantly, hey, I've done this. Press Joe over there and Bill. I, don't, I wasn't pointing at any Joe. But what a, nothing like that. You know, in worship service, do I raise my hand quite enough so people can see? No, I raise my hand just because I'm cut loose to God. That's it. That's it. It's him, right? Do you see? It's not about others. It's about him at the end of the day. It's not about impressing. So Solomon says, Israel. And, 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 and God would say to the chapel, guard your steps. Come with a heart that says, Lord, I am completely open to hear what you have for me. Please, Lord, speak. If you don't speak, I won't make it. And so then the sacrifice truly is an outworking of what God is already doing in my heart. Do you see that? And it doesn't mean my life is perfect during the week. It isn't. But I don't come before him playing games. There is authenticity. There is honesty. There is openness. There is humility. It's a very, very different stance. So he goes on to say this in verses 1 to 3 and verse 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. And, and part of what he's going to get to shortly is vows. But, but, but that's in any kind of a way. At the end of the day, 
I stand in the presence of God above everything else. I mean, I may stand in the presence of God with you, but I stand in the presence of God primarily. Do you see? And so what you say matters. Why do you say this? Well, he says, because God, verse 2b there, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A, a dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. God is not part of creation. And we are. And this text says that he as the creator God is in heaven above seeing everything that happens. There's nothing I say. There's no place I go. There's nothing I do or think about that God does not know. He is completely over us. You know what's amazing to me? If I can slip a little bit into the New Testament with this. Remember the Lord's Prayer, how it starts? Our Father who art in heaven. You are above us, and yet the wonder of the gospel is that you have entered into her experience through your son, that I can actually call the creator God that is above me, that knows everything about me, that does not need me in any way, loves me. He's my father. And if we lose the otherness of God, his holiness, his transcendence, we cheapen his grace. And the writer says, when you worship, you do it with this deep sense that whatever you think, whatever, wherever you go, whoever you talk to, all of it is under him. And he sees and he knows and you're accountable. And that's really scary at one level. But at another level, because he knows the humility of my heart, that's a good thing. God can work there. I have to tell you, verse 3 is one of the hardest verses to interpret. I, just, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I read probably 10 commentators on this stuff. And good, really, some guys that are really, really, really good. And one, of, one of the guys who's just, I know he's good. He's great. I, I sat under him years ago. He's a t professor. He's really, really good in the Old Testament. He finally came up with this idea and he said, in his commentary, he said, now, um, I think this is right, but everybody needs to know it's my guess. <laughs> I think it's right, but I don't know. It's a tricky proverb, I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest here. I'll, I'll give you my take on what I think it's saying. I think he's saying this. A dream comes when there are many cares. Um, sometimes the idea of a dream can be what I fantasize and what I think about. Not always, but it can happen in the scriptures. And the cares are often bound up in... The, 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 the toil and the, that comes from just work and, and all the things connected to that. And, 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 I, and I, I honestly think what he's getting at here is he's saying, look, there is this tendency when we live in a world that's really hard. That rather than first and foremost going to him in humility, 
we try to fantasize our own way out of the whole thing. We come up with our own dreams. I'm going to do this. I got big plans for that. And I'm going to, I'm going to this and this and this and that. And, and the writer says, look, look, look. Those cares and toils should not drive you to your own solution. They should drive you to God. And, and just like cares can inappropriately drive you there, people that are just talking all the time are going to say some things they wish they didn't say and be marked and seen as a fool. So be careful how you handle these issues. Be careful not to speak too quickly. Yeah, I love that passage in Proverbs, don't you? Even a fool, if he doesn't say anything, can appear wise. That gives me great encouragement. You know what I mean? Because I mean, like, uh, there's time. There are times, and my, you know, sometimes with my wife, I, you know, the spirit of God prompts me and says, "Think finer, say nothing right now, nothing, just wait." Now that can be bad too, ladies. I know, I know, I know, I know. But don't say it yet. You know what I'm saying? Because then you blah 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 blah, blah. and you go like, "Oh, that was a complete mistake." He says, really, in all of life, be thoughtful. Think before you speak. Come into his presence. Let it drive you to him rather than you trying to figure it all out. And just blah, blah, blah. Forget it. That's from the Hebrew. The blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, no, no. no, but you, you know what I'm saying? It's so easy to do that. What happens then in verse four, he switches um, gears here and, and, and speaks specifically about vows. Now, um, in the Old Testament, I want to I just read uh, three verses to you from Deuteronomy tw chapter 23. Um, and notice, notice what the writer says here. Um, yeah, just, just hear it. This comes from the law. It kind of forms the backdrop to what he's saying here in Ecclesiastes. The writer says, Moses says this in Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. You know what happens sometimes? You're afraid you're going to die in the middle of the night and you say, Lord, if I get through this, I promise you I will. Am I right? Now, you didn't have to make that vow. But there was something in the crisis of the moment that just, we, we, we've all made those vows, right? I, I mean, we get it. And part of that is good because it's pointing us back to God. And that, that, that part is really good. But sometimes what happens is we wake up the next day, we feel okay. And guess what happens to what we had just said the night before? It's gone. Completely gone. And he says, do you realize who you were talking to? 
you in a moment of crisis or whatever the case may be, did not have to do this, but you chose to do this. And when God in his grace then is faithful and kind, you then discard and go on with life and forget the commitment you made in that moment. Wow. Look, folks, I know I'm guilty of that one. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. <laughs> so in their day, you could make a vow that you were actually going to financially do something in particular in the temple. And apparently... Individuals will come back up to the temple and the priest or Levite or whoever it might be would be saying like, um, hey, uh, Zedekiah or Jedediah, um, you remember what you vowed? Oh, yeah. I wasn't thinking when I said that. Sorry about that. It was a mistake. <laughs> Have a good day. What? Is that Okay. Look at what he goes on to say. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Folks, that's strong language, isn't it? And, and, and to be honest with you, when I read that sometimes, I go like, man, is that, is, it, is that overkill? I mean, you know, Solomon, could you soften this up a little bit? Like, watch, watch your rhetoric, pal. And I think what Solomon would say in response is, no, no, that's, that's reality. Because you said this to the living God. Yeah, but he'll be okay. He's God. He's not one of us. He's creator above us. Watch your vows. Over three decades ago, I made a promise to the woman sitting on the front row there. Sherry. Just so you didn't know it wasn't Ruth, it was Sherry. <laughs> Tim made it to Ruth. Okay, I'm just Sherry. Okay. okay. Let's be clear on all this kind of stuff. I made a promise in sickness and in health until death do we part. And if you're married here today, you made a vow before God. And maybe you've stood up here when we've had a baby dedication and you've made a vow before God, haven't you? By your grace, God, I will raise these children in a way that honors you. I will stay with my wife no matter what. And then what happens is life comes along and starts hitting us. We get busy at work and those kids are such a pain. Shut up. What in the world happened to the vow? Or to, to the mate, things are so hard. She doesn't meet my needs the way she should. He doesn't meet my needs the way he should. Blah, blah, blah. And we all, and, and I, I shouldn't say that blah, blah, because it's serious, okay? If she's not and he's not, okay? It's serious. I, but you promised. And you promised before God. 
And at the end of the day, it's hard to believe, but sometimes my wife has a bad day. And I have many. But we have made a commitment to God to stay committed to that vow no matter what. So I don't know what vows you've taken. Some are to, to be a good parent, some to, to, to be a mate. I, I, I don't know what it is. But you made that promise to God. To God. And you ought to keep it no matter what. Because God, who is God, when he doesn't take pleasure in what we're doing, will discipline his children. Because that's what fathers do. Then he ends, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. And again, I think with that dreaming, your own fantasizing of how you're going to figure the whole thing out. and It's empty. It's not going to work. Well, then I'm just going to be involved in speaking a lot and saying this and saying that and pressing this. Forget it. Because the answer will never be you and what you can figure out. The answer will always be coming into the presence of God. So I think what he's saying at the end of the day is that, actually that thing's right in my way here. So take worship of God seriously because God takes worship seriously. Now, here's what's interesting when you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. When the New Testament speaks of the term worship, it broadens its focus from what happens when we come. And incidentally, I want to be really clear. There's nothing sacred about this building we're in right now. Do you know that? I mean, you know, like you don't walk through that door and like, da-da. You know what makes it sacred? Because God's people are gathered. If something happened to this building, I hope it doesn't, I love this building. And we had to meet somewhere else. The church gathered is the church gathered. I mean, that's what it's all about. And, 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 and so the church gathered is very important in the New Testament. The church gathered is called the temple of God. Isn't that interesting? In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So what goes on when we're together? Yeah, that's really important. Worship can have this kind of special focus there. Fair enough. But it gets broadened out in the New Testament to speak of all of life. Because my own life is now called, and body is called, the temple of the living God. Isn't that amazing? And Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1... I want you to, in light of all the mercies of God, I want you to present a sacrifice. No, I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. That's your reasonable act of worship. It is all of life. The New Testament takes it and just spreads that out and says, everything I do every day, when I drive home in the car this afternoon, I should be worshiping. When I come together with you, we worship in a unique way because the, the church is gathered. Yes, that's true. But 
all of life is worship. And the other thing that I found to be so moving is I want to just read a couple verses to you from Hebrews chapter 12. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, worship in the Old Testament under what we call the Old Covenant is contrasted with worship in the New Testament under the New Covenant. And notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. Stay with me, okay? This, this is, but listen to the comparison, okay? He's going to say, look at the old before you look at the new. Look at what he says. Verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that, that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. In other words, you haven't come to that experience they were having back in Exodus. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them. I mean, he's saying, you remember that? When, when Moses was appearing to the people and they saw the cloud and God and all that stuff and the people were going like, ah, right? Remember that? Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses himself said, I am trembling with fear. See the old? Notice what he does with the new. He both ups the ante in the sense that we are now really responsible because we are really privileged. Look at what he says. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? When you move from worship in the old to worship in the new covenant, it's not like hard, God is hard and transcendent, and now he's just like a grandpa, you know? You get whatever you want. No, 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 no. In the Old Testament, God is transcendent and holy and other and powerful and majestic and merciful and tender and kind and loving. You know what happens when you move to the New Testament? The whole thing gets ratcheted up. 
because Christ has come. And in the coming of God and Christ, as, his, as a believer, I have full access into the presence of God. I, I get to worship in his presence in a way that we won't fully understand till, till we die. But he says, you are there, Finkbeiner. But you are there before a God who has privileged you with the sending of his own son so that you can talk to me as my, our father who is in heaven. You are mine, but you are there and I am here. And I can never forget that golf. Even though he has spanned it in the person of his son. And the writer of Hebrews says, the God who is holy and loving is the God who is holy and loving in the person of his son. And so when you come into his presence, when you live your life, don't play games. Don't try to impress people. Don't be a hypocrite who's hiding all kinds. We're, we're going to be doing communion soon. And we're going to come before God and, and remember what he's done for us. And you know, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, he says in chapter 10, it is a complete amazement to me that some of you or on the one hand, going into pagan temples and wor worshiping false gods and say, well, I'm just doing it for a business deal. You know, whatever, whatever. It doesn't mean anything to me. How can you be doing that and then sit down at the Lord's temp uh, table and say, the most precious thing on earth to me is Christ because he has died for me and, and saved me. And there's nothing more important than you when you're doing that. No, 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 no. Come here. And don't you, if you wait till you're perfect, you'll never come. That's not the point, being perfect. It's being repentant and open and before him and honest. God, I'm here with all my problems. I'm so thankful for the cross of Christ, which, where I found forgiveness. And you can actually change me by your spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Paul's got to deal with a group that takes a practice of worship and perverts it. Do you see? God is not interested in us being perfect people in the sense of sinless. Because it will never happen, folks. But humble people who come into his presence, we guard our steps. We watch what we say. We open up and say, God, I'm here to listen. What if that family that I talked to you at the beginning really got a handle on this? The, the guy still has the job, but the job doesn't have him. And if it's gone one day, it's okay. Because he's a steward of what God has given him. And, and he loves football, but he'd much rather be late if the sermon's a little bit long that day. Because God's the most important thing. For the wife, she plans to follow up with one of her pastors and talk about some of the challenges she's having and with her husband. And she wants to go with her husband and see what God might do. But if God doesn't change that, she's made a promise. And, and that's a teenage boy. As hard as it is, he knows it's not good for him or for that young lady 
for them to be in any kind of a dating relationship. And he's weeping and crying over it, and it's the hardest decision he's ever made, but God is worth it. For that young lady, oh yeah, she has tension deficit disorder, people will say, and so forth. But even there, she's learning more and more not to bring her cell phone to church, period. She used to say she brings it to what we read the scriptures, but that didn't quite happen. So she's chosen not even to bring it. And she's beginning to learn what it means to even start taking notes during the sermon. And asking her parents afterwards, what do you think about what the pastor said today? Now, are they home yet? No, they still fought in the, uh, in the car on the way over. Okay. But they're moving in a different direction. And when they come to church to sing and to take communion, they don't come as perfect people. But they come as people who know Christ and are seeking to keep him central in all that they do. That's what this text asks of us. Father, it's amazing that we can call you Father, and the only reason we can call you Father is because you have come near in the person of your Son who has died for us. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we have found forgiveness in him and we can call the God of the universe, the God of heaven, our father. Lord, would you do your good work in our hearts? I don't know what folks may here may be holding on to, but maybe this would be the time where that grasp is opened up and now we come before you with our hands open, Lord. With nothing to offer but ourselves. Praying that you will do what only you can do. Father, may we worship you seriously. May we take worship seriously. Because God, you take it serious. May it impact all of our life and what we do when we gather together. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we are coming to the communion service, which is a very, very special time. I hope it is to you. I have to say there was times when I was growing up that the communion service brought to my mind more of a yawn than anything else. Because I thought, like, okay, let's quickly get through. They, they only give you enough juice to whet your appetite, but not enough to really do anything else, you know. <laughs> Completely carnal. This is our moment to, to and again, nothing magical happens when you take this. However, taking that moment to remember afresh about the wonders of what Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary. And thinking about his body that was broken for you. And then again, in worship to him, saying, God, you have it all. I'm not perfect, but I want you to speak and work in my life. That's the kind of thing that happens. And in doing that, we keep showing the world around us that his death makes a difference. We proclaim the death of Christ until he comes, don't we? Because we're saying the cross makes a difference. It's making a difference in my life. It can make a difference in your life too. 
So as we celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross, think much of the Savior who has died for you. Thank you.
Pastor Doug talked about fulfilling promises and keeping your commitments. And Jesus came here to fulfill a promise that was made in the Godhead that the Father was going to send his Son uh, to live for us and to die for us. And we take a cup and we take a morsel of bread to remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we do this, we celebrate what he has done and we remind ourselves of his amazing grace. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, For I have received from the Lord what I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and said, Break it. And he said this, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took a cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to celebrate what your son has done for us in song, to celebrate what your son has done for us through your word, and to celebrate what your son has done through us through this communion service. Remind us of his broken body once for all. I pray that you would remind us of his shed blood once for all. And I pray that we would marvel at the amazing grace that we see in him in Jesus' name. Amen. and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine I can see Stay. I labor on in weakness 
Father, thank you for this service this morning. Thank you for the love that you give us and that you sought us out to bring us to yourself. God, may we um, this week just be really impressed, just impress it on our hearts, Father, the importance of our worship before you in a public setting before a watching world and just help us to fall deeper and deeper in love with you and let that 
be a uh, mirror to the people around us that you would seek to uh, draw to you. So we uh, thank you for the service and pray uh, you bless us as we go. In Christ's name, amen.